Wake up, America. It's Morning Air with John Morales. Si, senor. Sarah Tafoya. And Glenn Leverins. This is Morning Air. On Relevant Radio and the Relevant Radio app. Wake up, America. It's Thursday, January 12, 2023. Good morning and welcome back to another edition of Morning Air. I'm John Morales along with Glenn Leverins and our studio producer, Sarah Tafoya. Thanks so much for joining us this morning. It is great to be with you, especially all you early birds that are up and at them first thing this morning here on Relevant Radio and the Relevant Radio app. On Thursdays, I always take a moment to to remind you about the institution of the Holy Eucharist on Holy Thursday by our Lord Jesus Christ. Let's try to visit the Blessed Sacrament sometime today. If you can just carve out a few moments to stop by and say hello to our Lord, it would be uh, fantastic, or perhaps sometime uh, during the week if you can. I want to bring in our Morning Air team, Glenn and Sarah. Glenn, what are a few of the big stories making headlines here on this Thursday morning? Well, guys, another batch of uh, top-secret documents uh, found in then-Vice President Joe Biden's possession. Uh, undisclosed location they were recovered from, but uh, this comes on the heel of uh, heels of uh, some others announced a few days ago, even though they were discovered before the midterm elections. And uh, so once again, an interesting quandary for the Department of Justice uh, looking at what's going on in the uh, the Trump case as well. These two unrelated, but now related a bit, uh, not legally, but uh, by the fact uh, you've got uh, the current and former president both having classified documents they shouldn't have. One thing, John, that's not part of this is, you know, why they had them. We're not hearing a lot uh, in either case on that. Uh, the latest batch uh, talks about uh, some foreign intelligence, Iran and things like that, found in uh, former Vice President Biden's possession at the time. Um, and so, uh, you know, word on if it's just kind of accidental, we moved a box of stuff that happened to contain some things. Uh, and this seems to go for both Biden and Trump. Well, Glenn, uh, there's a lot of questions that uh, uh, reporters and folks are, are asking. Uh, first of all, why is the White House being so vague? They're they're really not giving any real details uh, about uh, where these uh, classified documents uh, were found, especially the second batch. Um, what what has taken so long? Six years. Uh, since um, Mr. Biden was the vice president. And uh, we talked about it yesterday. Obviously, the, the VP has no powers in terms of declassifying, whereas the president d- does. And it really brings up the the, the question of, uh, is this really an example of equal justice under the law? Why is the attorney general not investigating this uh, recent uh, situation with President Biden, uh, like they went after uh, with everything they had against uh, former President Trump, uh, and also the way that the media is reacting, and the de- Democratic Party leaders, for that matter, really downplaying it. Well, I think this is one of those items where uh, you're starting to see a little pushback in the, the mainstream press even. And uh, so that's uh, that's a little different. Uh, but again, in either case, we're not really hearing kind of the, the why some of those secret documents are where they were found. Uh, but it, it's a case of, uh, I'm sure, in the White House's part, uh, great embarrassment and trying to you know wash that over as much as possible. Uh, meanwhile, some news uh, out of the House yesterday. House Republicans uh, passed a bill to stop infanticide, uh, to protect babies who survive abortions. So what do we know about this bill? 
Yeah, the Born Alive bill, uh, one of the first things passed by the Republican-led House as they finally got down to business after getting a, a speaker in place. All Republicans and two Democrats voted for this. It would require health care providers to help preserve the life of an infant that survives an abortion attempt. Uh, amazingly, it seems like it uh, won't pass in the Democrat-controlled Senate. Uh, it only need a, a couple votes for that to happen, and then whether the president would sign that or not. But uh, uh, amazing that someone couldn't vote to, uh, you know, help a helpless infant. Yeah, it really is uh, amazing. Do you think it was more symbolic just to show uh, where everybody stands on on this issue? Uh, yes. Uh, when there's a uh, non-pro-life majority in a particular House of Congress, uh, many of those votes are kind of a step along the way uh, to getting that issue uh, more coverage uh, without hope of actual passage. Um, meanwhile, uh, an uplifting uh, story uh, from yesterday, uh, Buffalo Bills, uh, Damar uh, Hamlin was uh, discharged uh, from a Buffalo hospital uh, just literally less than uh, 10 days after uh, he nearly died on, on the playing field and, and captured the attention of, of our nation and the world. Yeah, guys, just amazing. Needing uh, cardiac arrest, uh, in cardiac arrest, needing uh, needing to be resuscitated on the field with CPR, and then again later at the hospital uh, that same evening. Uh, transferred a few days ago from Cincinnati to uh, back to Buffalo, and now out of the hospital, able to to rehab from home. That is just incredible. And uh, you know, one of the things I've had some conversations around uh, uh, this week on on some other programs is as a as a family member watching all that from the field, my goodness, you know, as a mom in the stands, they had to get her mom and, uh, you know, ride along to the hospital. But uh, talked with another mom who said, you know, she'd been climbing over the shoulders of everybody in front of her and making her way down <laughs> to the field <laughs> to see what's going on. Oh, I can imagine. Just that they, there's the panic, especially when you see the play. And, okay, yeah, everyone gets hit and they fall down. But then getting up, he's, he jumped right back up. And then just that falling over, I mean, your heart has to drop out if you're the mom watching that. You know, I mean, for everyone in the stands was like, wait, what's going on? But in particular, when it's your kid, you're not looking at anything else in the stadium except that person. So I imagine that it's been a very difficult time for them. So I'm, it's good to hear there's some good news in that story. All of America is uh, pulling for uh, Damar and uh, and his family, and uh, I wouldn't be surprised if uh, he recovers fully and is in training camp uh, next summer. Yeah, that would be uh, that would be something. That would be great to see. But I, I like how, you know, some of the good that's come out of this. Uh, we saw a uh, football community drop to its knees almost unanimously in prayer for this. Uh, players doing that, uh, announcers calling for that, some announcers doing it live on the air at the time it happened. Um, that, uh, the end of the regular season, uh, wrapping up some careers for some well-respected players. J.J. Watt with the Cardinals played a long time for the Texans as well. And, uh, you know, the, the, a little more humanity seems to have crept into the football world in the last couple weeks here. Absolutely. I, I think this situation um, with DeMar really brought our nation together. And it's just an example of uh, the beauty of sports, of being able to bring people together. And, uh, and this time it brought uh, a lot of prayers together as well. Uh, Glenn and Sarah, as always, thanks so much. Sounds good, Jen. First things first, we always start uh, every morning here on the show, uh, always in prayer, giving thanks to our Lord for all the many blessings through the intercession of the Mother of God, our Blessed Mother Mary. 
In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit, amen. Hail Mary, full of grace, the Lord is with thee. Blessed art thou among women, and blessed is the fruit of thy womb, Jesus. Holy Mary, Mother of God, pray for us sinners now and at the hour of our death, amen. Our Lady of Guadalupe, patroness of the Americas, patroness of the unborn and of relevant radio, pray for us. St. Joseph, patron of the Universal Church, pray for us. St. John Paul II, co-patron of Relevant Radio, pray for us. And we always invoke the Holy Spirit every single morning when we pray, come Holy Spirit, come. In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit, amen. You can find us on Twitter at Morning Air Show as well as on Facebook. And you can always send us an email directly, morningair at relevantradio.com. Our number, if you want to be part of the program this morning, 888-914-9149. Now, um, this morning we're going to continue with uh, the new University of Mary Prime Matters series, which seeks to awaken the Catholic imaginative vision. The idea behind it is to help shape and form the minds of the Catholic faithful to better see and engage the world from a Catholic worldview. As we approach the National March for Life a little bit later this month, today we're going to talk about how reality is not arbitrary when it comes to gender and when it comes to the defense of life. Joining us live uh, this morning is uh, Monsignor James Shea, the president of the University of Mary and a regular contributor to Morning Air and Relevant Radio. To learn much more about the University of Mary, visit cometomary.life. Good morning, Monsignor Shea. Thanks so much for uh, joining us. Uh, It's great to be with you once again. Good morning, John. It's great to be with you, too. And of course, next week is the 50th annual March for Life in Washington, D.C., and the first March for Life to be held after the overturn of Roe versus Wade. And so we're gearing up here at the University of Mary. We've got about 300 uh, young people from our campus who will be busing from Bismarck, North Dakota, down to Washington, D.C. for the March for Life. And then we have a state March for Life here, and hundreds of other students on our campus who don't go to Washington show up at that march. And so next week, the University of Mary will be united in prayer and thanksgiving for the overturn of Roe versus Wade and praying for the future, for the sanctity of human life and the protection of human life in our country in every state. Well, Monsignor, uh, this March for Life in D.C. is really going to be different than any other march. I mean, this is something that we've been praying about now uh, for nearly 50 years. It'll be the first one since Roe was was overturned. Do you think it'll be uh, different? Do you think it'll have a different tone? Well, you know, I've been going to the March for Life for many, many years. The article that we were referring to, Reality is Not Arbitrary, was an interview that I had done with Jeannie Mancini, who for many years now, I think probably for 11 years or so, has been the head of the March for Life. She succeeded the late Nellie Gray, who was the founder of March for Life, who started the March for Life the year after uh, Roe versus Wade. So I've been going for many years, John, and um, I know that it'll be different this time, if, if only because the destination is different. Uh, for many years, we've always marched to the Supreme Court from the General Mall, from the Mall of the Capitol, where the rally for life happens, all the way to the Supreme Court up Constitution Avenue. This year they've changed it. This year it's a march not to the Supreme Court, but to the Capitol. 
because with the overturn of Roe versus Wade, uh, the question of abortion and the legalization of abortion has been returned to the people. Uh, and so the march now will go from the National Mall to the Capitol building, which is where legislation happens. And so we'll be praying and, um, uh, and marching for the legal protection of the unborn child uh, and for other compassionate laws, uh, upbuilding up marriage and family uh, to be passed in our nation. And so that's the new uh, thrust of the March for Life. I also think that um, the pro-life movement faces a, an important moment in its history. For such a long time, uh, we labored under the constriction of Roe versus Wade, which prohibited any um, serious uh, pro-life legislation, even after Planned Parenthood versus Casey, which was perceived as, um, as loosening up the stricture on pro-life legislation a little bit. But now it has truly been returned to the states, and, um, and the pathway is open as well for federal protection of the unborn child. And so I think that there will be a new energy and a new hope. Also, um, I think that there's a new need for an outpouring of the Holy Spirit upon the pro-life movement so that we might be given the wisdom how now uh, in this new moment to win the hearts and minds of people in a deeper fashion now that uh, the protection of the unborn child isn't dependent simply upon the fiat of the justices of the Supreme Court, but really has been returned for discussion in our civil life. And that's what we need to do. We need to talk about what's, what matters to us as a society and whether or not the unborn child will be welcome among us. Well, Monsignor Shea, uh, Jeannie Mancini, who you uh, interviewed for uh, this article, Reality is Not Arbitrary, she is absolutely outstanding. She's done such a great job leading the, the March for Life. Uh, she's so uh, powerful when she uh, is interviewed by the mainstream media and presenting the pro-life uh, case. And I really enjoyed uh, your conversation with her reading about it. Yeah, so when you see Jeannie Mancini, even on the most hostile television program, she always exudes a true Christian joy because her work in the pro-life movement is rooted not in political conviction primarily, but in her deepest convictions about the value uh, of human life, about how precious it is and how dignified human life is at every stage. And also, she has the joy of the gospel pulsing through her. I've been honored to host her several times here at the University of Mary. She uh, came and was our speaker for Prayer Day one year. And just this past year, on the 100th birthday of St. John of Bradamola, when we rededicated our entire School of Health Sciences to the namesake of St. John, when we placed uh, the entire School of Health Sciences under St. John's patronage, Jeannie was here. And every time I'm with her, I'm just struck uh, by how confident she is in God how unshakable her faith is, uh, and how joyful that makes her. And, of course, that's what God wants for each of us. He doesn't want us to stew in anger and disappointment about how things are going in the world. And Jeannie, of course, as a pro-life leader, has dealt with bitter disappointment as well as triumphs and, um, and uh, encouraging moments in the course of her life. And that disappointment... Uh, when we look out and we see things darkening in our culture, that disappointment is kept at bay by the joyful proclamation of the gospel and the fact that Jesus and his conquering kingdom live in our hearts. 
And that gives us great, great encouragement to go forward. And so uh, she's such a cheerful warrior, uh, and I'm so grateful to her for her insight. I'm so uh, blessed to uh, have met her. I, too, uh, have had the opportunity to interview her. In fact, she is uh, in the 40 film, a very important part uh, of, of the film uh, when it comes to the March for Life. Monsignor mm. Shea, can you talk a little bit about some of the intellectual and some of the spiritual wounds that, that our culture uh, needs uh, healing in in order for life uh, to really triumph in a, in a significant and lasting way? Yeah, that, that was one of the main things that Jeannie and I had talked about in this interview, Reality is Not Arbitrary, because I had said to her, beyond the political questions, which of course are at the forefront of the work of the pro-life movement, there's a deeper question of the intellectual and moral and spiritual wounds of our culture. When I asked Jeannie about that, that was her primary answer. She said, we have to remind people that reality is not arbitrary. And she gave the example of gender identity to begin with. You know, we're, we're in a highly scientific age. From a scientific point of view, uh, our, our approach to, um, to questions even of daily life is highly scientific, um, and we pride ourselves in that. And yet, uh, and yet on certain areas which have to do with ideology or emotion or psychological distress, on some of these particular questions, we don't let the truth speak very clearly. And so she said, for instance, uh, that one's own perception of one's gender doesn't make it true, uh, that reality is not arbitrary. And then uh, she gave the example as well, as you would expect, of the pro-life question. She said, if, if, um, if, if I say that an unborn child is just a blob of tissue, that doesn't make it true. And so uh, the, the, the ability, the courage, the honesty of placing our lives uh, at the foot of truth and saying, I will pursue the truth and allow my life to be shaped and formed by it, I will train my mind, I will train my heart, I will train my intellect, will, and even my passions such that my life is ordered toward that which is true and beautiful and good. That's a pathway of moral and intellectual conversion, which then touched by grace makes for holiness. And this is what each of us is called to. And so it's just so important that we recognize that oftentimes when we're addressing these issues, like the, the question of the protection of the unborn, we need to remind people that altogether we as human beings are seeking the truth together and that we need to follow the truth wherever it goes. People often say, follow the, silence, follow the, sci follow the science, follow, follow the science, but oftentimes they don't really mean that. They mean, uh, okay, let's follow the ideology. The political science. <laughs> yeah, the political science. Let's follow the ideology that, that uh, some, of this, uh, some of this science appears possibly to be leading us toward. That is such a great point. My, Monsignor, I, I just know that uh, science is on our side when it comes uh, to uh, the gender issue, when it comes uh, to the life issues. Uh, without a doubt, uh, science ha is catching up to Scripture. Well, right. It's an amazing thing when you consider, uh, when you consider the, the access that we have now to observe the unborn child in the womb uh, the, the ultrasound technology 
that in 1973, at the time of Roe versus Wade, was only in its nascent form. Now, of course, we're able in in almost technicolor <laughs> to be able to see the unborn child, to observe her in the womb, and to uh, come to understand we're able to hear the heartbeat for instance, of unborn children much, much earlier than ever before. Not only that, but viability, which was a central question in the Dobbs decision. Remember, the question of viability, viability, because of scientific advance, has been receding and receding closer and closer uh, to the beginning of the pregnancy. In other words, uh, children are able to be born outside of their mother's womb earlier and earlier now because of the technological progress and the, and the scientific advancement which has happened. And so when you say that science is on our side uh, in terms of the pro-life question, that's absolutely true, John. For sure. And the women that actually see those ultrasounds, the vast majority of them end up uh, choosing life and keeping their baby. Um, what about the role of a faithful Catholic education uh, in uh, the healing of, uh, of, of our culture? Well, right. This also was something that Jeannie and I discussed, and I think I have this deep conviction, John, uh, that the work of Catholic universities is not simply to prepare students for their careers. Obviously, we need to do that, but to remind them of their humanity. We do live in a time in which people feel disembodied or separated or fragmented from the deepest meaning of their life. This is why it's one of the reasons that we see such anxiety and depression, such restlessness and, and sort of aching longing among this rising generation. The, the young people that I deal with, uh, that I serve, uh, that I'm privileged to be with here at the University of Mary, even those who come from great families, oftentimes struggle to cope with the demands and the pressures of life. And that's because, at least in part, they've been um, they've been separated from their deepest purposes. And we need to remind them that they're human beings with immortal souls and eternal destinies, that their lives truly do matter, not just sometime in the future, but the, the, the choices that they make every day now has a deep impact upon the way that they'll live their lives, upon their capacity for happiness, and upon their eternal destiny. And so we're dedicated here at the University of Mary, which is a place of faithful education, which is, which is filled with the hope and the joy of the gospel and the spirit of reverence for life that we've been talking about in terms of pro-life questions. We're dedicated to consecrating our mission to helping young people to understand that they're meant to be human in the fullest sense. Remember, the glory of God is man fully alive. That's from St. Irenaeus. Monsignor Shea, um, finally, uh, in our final moments here, I'd like to get your thoughts on uh, the young people, uh, the youth in the pro-life movement, uh, described as the pro-life generation and now the post-road generation. Can you talk about how important they are going forward as this battle continues for the culture of life? Well, anybody who's ever been to the National March for Life in Washington has seen this, that it's been getting younger and younger and more and more joyful. What can happen in the course of a person's life is when you're in the battle, when you're fighting and fighting, you can become cynical at a certain sense, at a certain point. But young people are fresh. They're on the doorstep of their lives. And it's important for them to be able to give their hearts to great causes. 
That's why we've put so much accent here at the University of Mary upon the pro-life cause, because this is a cause that young people can not only pour their hearts into, but they can make a real lasting difference in. And so they are the pro, uh, the, the post-Roe generation. They are the pro-life generation, and they take that upon themselves very joyfully. And so it's a beautiful thing for us to witness that. But we witness it on our, on our campus every day, and I think it's important for all of our listeners to know that, that there's so much hope for the future, that what you read in the mainstream media isn't the whole of the story, that our young people are providing for, they're fighting for, they're longing for, they're marching for a future which is full of the reverence and the protection of human life. And they will continue to work for that. And they do it with great energy and tremendous joy. Well, Monsignor Shea, uh, many blessings uh, in your trip with the University of Mary and the 300-plus uh, students that are going to the upcoming March for Life. We'd love to check in with you while you're in D.C. I'm always ready for that, John. That would be fantastic. As always, thanks so much uh, for being with us, uh, Monsignor. All right. God bless you. God bless you. Monsignor James Shea, the president of the University of Mary and a regular contributor to Morning Air. To learn much more about the University of Mary, visit cometomary.life. We need to take a, a short break when Morning Air continues. A Catholic author, speaker, and mom, Emily Jamlett, will be with us to explain why we should pray and turn our lives over to Christ. Stay with us on this Thursday morning as Morning Air continues on Relevant Radio and the Relevant Radio app. Jump into the conversation. Call 888-914-9149. This is Morning Air. This is Morning Air. Your home for faith, fun, and news in the morning. On Relevant Radio and the Relevant Radio app. Got that sunshine in my pocket. Got that good soul in my feet. And welcome back to Morning Air. I'm John Morales along with Glenn and Sarah. Thanks so much for tuning in on this Thursday morning here on Relevant Radio and the relevant radio app. Our number, if you want to be part of the program, 888-914-9149. That's 888-914-9149. Our power scripture from the Playbook of Life this morning is from Colossians 3.17. The Apostle St. Paul writes, And whatever you do in word or deed, do everything in the name of the Lord Jesus, giving thanks to God the Father through Him. St. Paul reminds us that it doesn't matter what you do for a living, if you're a lawyer, doctor, a mother, or even a professional athlete, whatever you do, if you do it for Jesus, if you do it for the Lord and for His glory, you're on the right track. Remember to keep your work in proper perspective, God first, your family second, and then your vocation or profession third. You can sanctify your work, you can make your work have real spiritual meaning if you just do it for the Lord. And we always pray with great confidence, Jesus, I trust in you. Now, speaking of prayer for many, the holidays are a busy time of hustle and bustle, but now we're back in ordinary time uh, before Lent begins. It's a perfect opportunity to head back to the basics, to head back to prayer. How can we make a, a prayer a, a spiritual resolution this year? Uh, it sounds easy, but sometimes uh, things can get in the way and prevent us from praying. How can we overcome some of these obstacles uh, to pray every day? Joining us live is Morning Air regular contributor Emily Jemina to discuss why we should pray and turn your life over to Christ. 
Emily is a Catholic author, speaker, radio personality, wife, podcaster, and the mother of seven children. She's also the executive director of WelcomeHisHeart.com. Her most recent award-winning book is titled Secrets of the Sacred Heart, 12 Ways to Claim Jesus' Promises in Your Life. She can be found at EmilyGeminit.com. Good morning, Emily. Happy New Year. Thanks so much for joining us. Great to be with you once again here, still early in the new year. Absolutely. Good morning. Good morning. Um, what a fun topic. Prayer, the new year. I think for a lot of us, we you know put sometimes prayer on that back burner in the busy times of our life. But the truth is, this is every day is a great day to recommit to daily prayer, to growing closer to Christ, and really coming to understand the beauty, the fruit that comes from enriching our prayer life. And I can definitely say as a mom of seven, I still have one college kid that needs to head back to college. So I, I know what it's like to have your life a little turned upside down, but now it's time to turn it right side, Christ side. <laughs> Emily, I can't remember who said it, but uh, the idea was that uh, um, uh, a prayer is to our soul what oxygen is to our body. Absolutely, or gas to a car. <laughs> and, and I think that's something that's really important, that we hit that spiritual reset bunny button and, and seek out opportunities that help us as we know the Lord always is inviting us into that personal relationship. It's not a, a private club. It's welcome to every single person. And um, it's our response that matters. And I think that a lot of times we overcomplicate things. We we overthink it. And I was with a, about 25 women the other night um, as we prepared for our Columbus Catholic Women's Conference. And we went around the room talking about our New Year's resolutions. And it's one thing to think about, you know, your spiritual resolutions. It's another thing to say them out loud, to share them with a group so that, you know, you're not just alone, but you're being supported. And as the culture continues to um, provide us so many distractions that, uh, you know, we really do need to make this a commitment each and every day. I love that you call it uh, spiritual resolutions, uh, which are obviously uh, a part of our New Year's resolutions, but in, in many ways more important than even uh, you know eating better and uh, going on a diet and losing weight. Uh, this is about our souls. You know, it really is about our souls, and you know, for many of us with our vocation of being parents, you know, the holidays are challenging. There's a lot of dynamics that take place in December. That month just flies right by. But January, what a wonderful month. You know, life slows down a little bit. And we do need to do an internal assessment to, you know, what what does need to change. And a lot of times I continue to remind my children or what I wrote in the book, Prayfully, is like spiritual resolution, growing in virtue. We got to make it um, a part of our decision, not just waiting for that, you know, mountaintop experience to happen. We do need to commit and the graces will follow. You know, I didn't uh, realize uh, that uh, the entire month of January is actually uh, dedicated to the holy name of Jesus, not just uh, the one uh, feast day at the beginning of, of the year. Uh, it, it's really all about uh, drawing us closer to Jesus. That is the whole purpose uh, for prayer. You know, I'm so glad you brought that up. Um, I was actually at a prayer meeting in the beginning of the month, and we were talking about the holy name of Jesus, the importance of us reclaiming as Catholic Christians the importance of the name of Christ. And um, this is where 
our faith begins, you know, is making sure that we don't offend our Lord. So if you are in a casual habit of using the Lord's name in vain, make that your first spiritual resolution to not offend our Lord, not to use his name in vain. And I and pray for the grace that you can do a holy act of reparation if someone around you does, such as, you know, offering a prayer or speaking to that person if you're friends saying, hey, you know, I, that's really hard for me to hear you speak about the Lord's name like that as a Christian. You know, maybe ask the Lord for the grace, the courage, the fortitude to keep the Lord's name holy. I was so moved when uh, I heard the reports that uh, uh, Pope Emeritus Benedict XVI's final words uh, were, uh, Lord Jesus, I love you. I, I think that that is such a great uh, message, such a great example for every one of us to remind us of what's really important here at the beginning of this year. I'm so glad you also brought that up. I was also deeply moved by those simple words. Those are words that each one of us can tell the Lord each and every day. And the work I do at welcomeisheart.com is to restore the love of Christ in our hearts, in our home, through devotion to the most sacred heart of Jesus. And what I found is that a lot of times we might know our faith, but we best express it, not by the facts we know, but how we live our life. And we can't love on our own accord. We need to allow Christ's love to pour our hearts, to touch us so that we can be vessels out in the world. We can be that bright light. And we definitely had such a tremendous example of Pope Benedict XVI and his legacy. And we too are invited to build a legacy rooted deeply in our Catholic faith. The world so needs these living saints, these holy examples, um, these ordinary people like you and me that are just waking up every day, seeking new graces from the Lord and saying, Lord, May this be the day that I, you know, I recommit, I make that step forward, but mostly may I rely on your loving graces. Emily, as, as a mama of seven, uh, how can small changes like praying every day have a significant impact uh, on the life of a family? Well, prayer is, like you mentioned in the beginning, it's the oxygen to our lungs, it's the fuel to our car, and to expect to run an entire family in the modern world without prayer is is really um, a daunting task. To me, I think how lonely that would be, how I would feel so set adrift. So the first suggestion I have is don't focus on the storms of your life. Let's always keep our eyes on Jesus Christ. And a lot of times that's a retraining of the mind. One of the things I do is if I start to be overwhelmed by the storms, and sometimes they're really little storms. You know, it might be a kid's report card just threw me off. It might be that, you know, we're running late to an event that happened on the other day and I had to choose to um, reset my internal disposition, asking the Lord to give me peace, to not be so overwhelmed that I was late to a first grade basketball game and, and to kind of even chuckle at, at my perspective and grow in gratitude. Lord, thank you for the opportunity to be where I'm going. I'm sorry that I'm late, but may this be an opportunity of growth for all of us. So that's a, one example, not to focus on, on those storms in our life. Yeah, because the storms are going to come. It's not a question of if, it's a question of when. Absolutely. And, you know, if you notice 
the world loves to talk about those those storms and sometimes they turn a light tiny little you know gray cloud into center news and we have access to worldwide news which is wonderful but the truth is we the lord doesn't want us overwhelmed confused you know anxious those are the opposite dispositions of what we're striving we're we're striving for christian joy for peace for even gentleness kindness those fruits and gifts of the spirit so don't focus on the storms but we do need to focus on prayer prayer will not just happen it needs to be something in which it's a decision a spiritual decision it's an invitation i think about i did some cliff jumping with my kids over the summer and they said mom please do it and i'm like no i don't really want to do this and they kept inviting me and all of a sudden i was doing something i didn't think i was capable of doing but i was glad i did it and a lot of times we need to continue to invite others to the spiritual journey, inviting our children, inviting our spouse, but with love, rooted deeply within love and with the intention of them being with us forever in heaven. Well, that reminds me of uh, Father Rocky, who says it uh, all the time, uh, the family that prays together stays together, obviously uh, referencing the family rosary uh, across America that we pray every day here at 7 p.m. on Relevant Radio. It's so important uh, for the family. It's also super important uh, individually. Um, I want to continue to talk about the importance of prayer, and and one of the things I think is super important is uh, the morning offering, right off the bat to set the tone for the day, but um, we need to take a, a short uh, break, Emily, and I also want to invite uh, our listeners, uh, if you want to be part of the conversation on praying, turning your life over to Christ, if you'd like to share your thoughts, uh, we'd uh, love to hear from you. We're taking your calls for a Catholic author uh, and mom, Emily Jeminet, at 888-914-9149, 888-914-9149. We'd love to hear from you. We're going to take a, a short time out as we continue our discussion with Emily. Stay with us. There's more to come on the other side. More of Morning Air after this. Bringing the light of Christ to start your day. It's Morning Air with John Morales, Sarah Tafoya, and Glenn Levy on Relevant Radio and the Relevant Radio app. 888 914 That's 888-914-9149. If you want to be part of the conversation, we're talking about praying and turning uh, your life over to Christ with our Morning Air regular contributor, Emily Jaminet, a Catholic author, speaker, radio personality, uh, wife and mother of seven children, uh, joining us this morning from Columbus, Ohio. Emily, uh, you started to talk about about some uh, practical uh, tips for uh, creating a, a more loving and prayerful heart and home. And uh, obviously, uh, we talked about f- not focusing on the storms, but you started to talk about the importance of prayer. The importance of prayer. And one of the things, you know, John, I've been helping with is RCIA and, you know, helping these, you know, soon to be baby Catholics to come to understand the way of our Catholic faith. But without prayer, it's again, it's not just about what we know and the teachings. It's we got to have that encounter with the Lord. So beginning our day in prayer. And I think about, um, John, one of my favorite scriptures is Lamentations 3.23. The Lord's acts of mercy are not exhausted. His compassion is not spent. They are renewed each morning. 
great is your faithfulness. So that idea that each morning there's grace for us, each morning it's a new day as we embark on our new day. So maybe yesterday was a really difficult day for you, but today we can seek the Lord for the grace he has for us. So my first, you know, my, my second really important tip is I like to, when I, I, I really enjoy my first cup of coffee in the morning, I look forward to it actually the night before. Me too. But that <laughs> the first cup, I say, I, I got to put my myself in timeout, spiritual timeout, where I, I sit down and I have my Bible and I have my morning prayers and I go through, um, you know, what's that, that quiet time. And if you have a nice, good, hot cup of coffee, that's a good 10 minutes. And hopefully you pour your second cup. But that doesn't happen for me as a busy mom unless I choose to get up early before my family, before packing lunches, getting out the door and doing all that. So it's also about making it a priority and a lifestyle change as well. Well, Emily, uh, let me just share with you. I get up at 345 Central Time every day. And the the second that the lights go on, the very first thing I do is... Uh, pray my morning offering right in front of the crucifix. Uh, just it, it only takes about a minute, but it really focuses me right away uh, and sets the tone for the day. This is minutes before I have that first cup of java. Isn't that great? And you're offering up your daily joys, works, sorrows of the day, right? So as Catholics, everything is included in that morning offering. Everything, you know, is it's all the high points and low points we give to the Lord. And that prayer has been prayed. Think of all the Catholics have prayed that morning offering. And I know that um, teaching my children to pray is something that means so much to me. So we do our morning offering on the way to school. You know, we also do um, on our way to school, um, our gratitudes, you know, where every kid says what they're grateful for, and then a prayer intention. And even when the neighbor kid is in the car, this is something that's important to me. Because those morning gratitudes and prayer intentions are like little windows to their soul. You might discover, you know, thanks to the Holy Spirit, something that's really important that needs to be addressed. Maybe there's a situation between siblings and sibling rivalry that's really crushing a child's spirit. Maybe they're really struggling in school. And that prayer is oftentimes where we discover what what is that child? What is our spouse? What are our loved ones really needing our support and even our prayer coverage as well? And, and prayers uh, don't have to be long. I mean, just uh, the name of Jesus is a prayer in itself. I mean, little, short little prayers like, Jesus, I trust in you uh, from the Divine Mercy uh, Chaplet, or uh, Jesus, I love you, uh, reminiscent of Pope Benedict, uh, or uh, Lord Jesus Christ, Son of the living God, have mercy on me, a sinner. There's so many different ways that we can connect with our Lord in short, real simple little prayers from the heart. I love that. And, you know, your holy images, as you mentioned, the crucifix, um, the images that we have at welcomeisheart.com, the sacred heart of Jesus image, are like holy stop signs, you know, that, that we shouldn't just put them on our walls and just keep our, living our life. We, we need to be drawn into the message, into these holy stop times, these reminders to pray. So that's something that I have strategically. I have an image on my desk 
of the the heart of Jesus, the Sacred Heart. I have one um, in my my front room where I do my morning prayers. But you know, it's important. You don't just need to have one image. Um, you need to really have these reminders to draw you in deeper into prayer, especially in the places that maybe you're high risk for getting a little too hot, hot hearted or hot tempered or or lose your patience or you know the turn to despair. That's where we really need these holy reminders. Well, we have a few images here in the studio, Emily. Uh, I wish you could see it. We have this fantastic, gorgeous image of Our Lady of Guadalupe right on the wall. It's uh, something just brand new that just uh, surprised me the other day when I came in. It is, it is magnificent. It is a replica of the uh, original uh, image of Our Lady of Guadalupe. And of course, we have uh, a small crucifix and uh, the Divine Mercy image, all these little reminders. Uh, and, and these are things that we can sprinkle around our home uh, to keep us uh, focused on what's really important. You know, John, my mom does this particular act where we have discovered that Jesus sadly is the king of many thrift stores in our community, secondhand flea markets, and she will purchase them and then give them away to other people. Um, you know, so she has this this wonderful collection, and I just in my trunk I have two images that you know I have people in mind that I'd love to bless them with these older images that that came from that route. So when you come across beautiful sacred art or images um, in places they shouldn't be, like thrift stores and in flea markets, consider making that um, a sacrifice, purchasing them and then restoring their their home to other maybe young families in your parish, people getting married, or even. Um, adding one more image to your own wall. Um, can you share a few more uh, tips on how we can uh, have a more loving and, and prayerful uh, heart and home? One of my favorite expressions is long live Bethany. You know, this idea that where Bethany, Jesus would go and spend time with Mary, Martha, and Lazarus, and the great miracle of Lazarus as being, you know, raised from the dead, Jesus raising his friend from the dead. There was so much friendship and fellowship and really instruction on, you know, to Mary and Martha, to the call, the invitation to pray, to choose the better choice um, in that moment. So I, I really want us to refocus on knowing that Jesus wants to be our friend. He comes to us, yes, as King, as Lord, as Savior, but also a personal friendship. So cultivating that friendship, understanding that your tiny little trivial trials have meaning, but the prayer, prayer is how we interact, not just complaining, not just talking, but really spending time um, deepening into prayer. And I also want to invite the listeners to consider going on a personal retreat, attending a conference, making a, a step forward to grow closer to your faith. As I mentioned, you know, we have a women's conference coming up February 18th in Columbus. And, you know, being part of that planning team, I'll be also be on retreat in Cincinnati this uh, weekend leading a women's retreat. But, you know, finding something that works for where you're at, taking that step and asking the Lord to, you know, deepen your relationship. But a lot of times we got to get away to be able to, you know, hear the Lord and, and be able to respond to that invitation. 
Well, uh, I just recently uh, came from a, a men's conference uh, back in, in, in November, and uh, one of the things that, that really moved me was to see the way the men re reacted uh, to the Blessed Sacrament exposed at the conference. I mean, you could see the reverence, you can see uh, the adoration of our Lord. Uh, it's a never-ending reminder of the beauty that we have as Catholics that, you know, we can always go and, and make a, a short visit to the Blessed Sacrament. In fact, on Thursdays, I always take a moment at the top of the show to remind our listeners uh, in, in commemoration of uh, Holy Thursday when Jesus instituted the, the, uh, the Holy Eucharist to just stop in, even if it's just for a few minutes, and, and visit our Lord in the Blessed Sacrament. Ah, oh, what a great call to action. You know, as Catholics, just that simple gesture of walking into the church. You know, I, I pick up my kids from Catholic school every day. And, you know, a lot of times I'll park right on the other side of the Blessed Sacrament, you know. And it, looking at Facebook or, you know, just kind of sitting there, you know, instead of getting out of my car and spending just a few minutes with the Lord or even saying, Lord, I know you're on the other side of this wall you know, please give me the graces for the rest of my day. But acknowledging that Jesus is ever present and um, it really does change your eyes. It gives you new vision. Prayer is a gift for us and it's a gift that we are invited to share with others by turning on relevant radio, by, you know, one of my favorite things, John, I know we're coming to the top of the hour with, with our segment, but I love the audio prayers on the app of relevant radio. In my busyness of life, a lot of times that's my go-to to saying my rosary, to saying my Divine Mercy Chaplet, to, you know, getting my prayers in. So these, there's so many wonderful resources. There really, really are, right on the Relevant Radio app, and uh, all you got to do is go there, and you'll find them for yourself. Uh, a tremendous uh, tool to help us with our prayer life. Emily, as always, I really appreciate uh, your spiritual insights. Uh, thanks so much. Uh, many blessings to you. Well, thank you, and have just a wonderful, blessed week. You too. Emily Geminet, the Executive Director of WelcomeHisHeart.com. And now it's time for yet another edition of Glenn Story Corner. A classic for you today called The Touch of the Master's Hand by Myra Brooks Welsh. T'was battered and scarred, and the auctioneer thought it scarcely worth his while to waste much time on the old violin, but he held it up with a smile. What am I bid, good folk, he cried, who'll start the bidding for me? A dollar, a dollar now two, only two, two dollars, who'll make it three? Three dollars once, three dollars twice, going for three, but no. From the room far back, a gray-haired man came forward and picked up the bow. Then wiping dust from the old violin and tightening up the strings, he played a melody, pure and sweet, as sweet as an angel sings. The music ceased, and the auctioneer, with a voice that was quiet and low, said, What am I bid for the old violin? As he held it up with the bow. A thousand dollars? Who'll make it two? Two thousand? Who'll make it three? Three thousand once and three thousand twice? Three thousand and gone, said he. The people cheered, but some exclaimed, We do not quite understand what changed its worth. And the answer came, "'Twas the touch of the master's hand. And many a man with soul out of tune and battered and scarred by sin is auctioned cheap by the thoughtless crowd just like the old violin. But the master comes and the foolish crowd can never quite understand the worth of his soul and the change that is wrought by the touch of the master's hand. Isaiah 64, 8, But now, O Lord, you are our Father. We are the clay, you are our potter. We are all the work of your hand. 
Thanks again, Glenn, as always, outstanding. Really appreciated. Uh, coming up next hour on Morning Air, Dr. Dan Burns, PhD, Associate Professor of Politics at the University of Dallas and a Benedict XVI expert will be with us to discuss the late Holy Father's legacy and writings. Plus, our spiritual director, Father James Kabicki, will talk about ordinary time. How can we keep the joy of the Christmas spirit with us all year round? So stay with us. We're just warming up this morning. There's much more to come in the final hour of Morning Air here on Relevant Radio and the Relevant Radio app.